Yeah. Please tell me that I can't, that I won't, that I fail, that I'll never make it out. Yeah. Please tell me all the bad, never good. Modern parents have been sold the idea that kids are the tried and true pathway to perfect happiness. But it turns out there are a lot of bumps on the way to bliss. More than ever, parents are feeling like they have been sold a bad bill of goods. Today on Impolite Society, we're exploring the myth of joyful parenting, the enormous pressure parents are under, and the very real risks of parental burnout. All this to answer the rude question, is it normal to hate your kids? Like, just a little bit? That's what you're in for today on Impolite Society. You're listening to Impolite Society with Laura and Rachel. Energy, energy. What is that coming through your ear holes? It is Impolite Society, the one and only podcast that bravely pulls back layer after layer of the onion that is our world to get to the bottom of the topics you cannot discuss while meeting your 36-hour-old nephew in the maternity ward for the first time. That is an awkward time to talk to anybody because uh, everybody is a little bit on edge. So, And I am Rachel. And I'm Laura. <laughs> And Laura, I I got babies on the brain, but it doesn't have to do with any kind of internal clock of the biological nature, but more to do with the sound that these clocks make. Tick tock, tick tock, tick, tick tock. Is it because tick tock? Tick, tick tock. Gwen's world. Gwen's word. Gwen's word. That was before the show officially started. <laughs> but right, yeah, it is. It has to do with TikTok, our favorite clock app, and <laughs> clock the app. consumer of far too many hours of my day. I don't watch it so much anymore, so I'm glad you're getting some play out of it. <laughs> oh, I love TikTok. And it was on one of those recent binges that I saw the TikTok that inspired today's episode. Ooh. And, okay, let me describe it to you, because nothing beats somebody trying to describe something they saw on the internet to you. (laughs) What I saw is made from a pretty popular TikTok sound. Laura, are you familiar with the song Fireflies by Al City? Yes, I actually really like that song, embarrassingly. (laughs) It's a good song. It's a good song. But yes, I have seen videos using that sound. The original sound is somebody edited the song, so all it says is, I want to leave... And then it ends. It's just like about introverts at parties and people coming out after COVID. But in this case, that is not what it was about. Because what I saw in this TikTok over that sound was a nice white lady. Essentially, she's looking kind of awkward and like looking like she's wanting to leave while that song is playing in the background. And the text on the screen says, when the mom I'm with describes her kid as an asshole. So essentially, she's saying when she's with a mom who says that about their kid, she's like, I gotta, I'm going to get out of here. I don't want to hang out with her anymore. Mm. But the story doesn't end there because this is actually a stitch. Oh, my God. We're learning so much about TikTok. <laughs> That's when two TikToks are merged together without technically the first person's consent. So anything you put on TikTok can be stolen and used against you to shame you and humiliate you. 
<laughs> Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of TikTok. Probably. Probably. I mean, some people use stitches to make cool things mm-hmm. and like build off what other people are doing. Mostly I see it as like, I'm going to comment about what this person said and in a way where they can't really respond to me. I'm going to shame another person. And that's a backbone of healthy debate. <laughs> but somebody stitched it with her. And after she finished her, I want to leave, it was a, another, I'm guessing a mom. I'm assuming a mom because she's on mom talk. And she gets up. And silently, without saying a word, gets up, walks, and like opens her door and gestures at it. And be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> There's the door. Yeah. And as an outside observer, I'm not a parent, but I didn't quite understand what was happening because it seemed to me like the I want to leave mom. I didn't think she was saying anything controversial. Like, is it normal for parents to refer to their children as assholes, their underaged young children? In my experience, kind of. I mean, like, how old are we talking here? And are they around? Can they hear you? Because even if you think your kids aren't old enough to understand you, they can understand you. And so it's just, it's a question of whether or not that they're there or if you're doing it in your own private time. And if you're on your own private time with your friends complaining about your life, yeah, I think that's totally normal. Well, TikTok would agree with you and disagree with me in this case, because clearly this is a topic that a lot of parents are weighing in on and and they're feeling the same. Because once I started on this rabbit hole, I did a Google search and I found a lot of parents who were saying the same things. There were blog posts, TikToks, and videos talking about parents not liking their kids. And maybe I'm an optimist. Maybe I have a idealist perspective of parenthood but this kind of really threw me and it sounds like it's common enough that you've encountered it or seen it oh i've definitely called charlotte a bitch before like when i (laughs) with friends i mean it's a little bit more of like a joke so i always think of that 30 rock episode where avery is giving birth and she's like let's get out of the border and get this bitch out of me (laughs) it's not so much serious and i imagine that probably people who are calling their kids assholes are kind of in that same thing it's like venting it's you're upset and you're having having a tough day and i mean who doesn't call their spouse names when they're not around you know like you're like this jackass You know, it's just blowing off steam. I think it's completely normal. Well, that's what the internet would have to say as well. And this was new to me. I have a lot of things to say about my husband. Let's just put that out there. I do (laughs) say a lot about him. But I really do try not to fall into the name calling thing, even when he's not around. Again, maybe I'm an idealist. (laughs) So this is what actually inspired our rude question today. The question that we're going to be digging into. And it's clearly a topic that's top of mind for a lot of parents and something that might be confusing for folks who aren't parents. So if you don't have any kids, stay tuned. This will be interesting. I guarantee it. An enlightening learning experience. (laughs) I learned a ton. It helped me empathize with the parents in my life. Our rude question is, is it normal to hate my kids? Like, even just a little bit? (laughs) I have thoughts. I have thoughts. So let me just say it one more time before I get my last disclaimer on this. I am not a parent. I don't have kids. I don't know what this is firsthand. But this was all kind of surprising to me because I know kids can be snotty. Well, of course you can. I mean, you've been to a grocery store. You've been to a restaurant. You've been to an amusement park. You've seen them. 
you know. Yeah, and I guess it's easy to hate other people's kids, but I didn't know the feelings were mutual, right? I didn't know that parent was hating that kid. You didn't think that the screaming would also annoy the parent in that situation? (laughs) Well, because the whole connotation that I know is like, oh, my kid is so great. My kid is perfect. Everybody thinks my kid is cute and charming and funny. So I just assumed that that was how most parents approached their kid, whether they were behaving badly in public or not. But obviously, that's not the case because across the board, moms are referring to their kids as assholes. So to get to the bottom of whether or not it's normal to kind of hate your kid a little bit, I wanted to start by looking at parenthood and happiness because parenthood is sold to us as this happy, fulfilling endeavor. It's, it's going to be the most amazing thing ever and you're going to be the best mom in the whole wide world and you're going to love it like you've never loved anything else in the entire world. Your whole life is going to change and you become a whole person. Is that the is that what you're talking about? That kind of thing? Yeah, I've heard that a time or two. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what we're working with here. Parenthood and happiness is something a lot of people are thinking about and a lot of people are, of course, trying to get to the bottom of. And I will say, does being a parent make you happy in the very short term? Yes, it does. Because oxytocin, the chemical in our brain that boosts moods and inspires love and makes us feel cuddly and cozy, we get a ton of that after having a baby. And that is not just for women who carry and birth a child. This is actually the same levels of oxytocin are reached in father's brains when they have a new baby at home, too. I think that absolutely makes sense because we know that humans do best when they have two parents to take care of them. So that makes sense from an evolutionary perspective that each parent would get that same boost in that cuddle hormone. Well, and I I don't even think it's limited to the two people, you know, like the male and female equation. No. I think it's just anybody who is a primary caregiver or a main caregiver for a baby. Exactly. Because babies hijack our brains. They've done studies and they've looked at the brain. And having a baby in your life, a baby that you're caring for, it changes your brain structure and it increases the size of your amygdala, which is that more primitive reptile brain. So this aspect of caring for an infant is something that is very deeply ingrained in who we are. Yeah, it's more people that the baby can get to take care of them, the better equipped that they're going to be. Anybody who's been around a baby knows exactly what they're talking about. And yeah, it's just going to increase their survival rate. So yeah, evolutionary benefits for the win. And just something about the way the face is structured and all that. So cute! Yes, well, it, that's literally the a reaction it elicits. Not, I think babies look like crazy little aliens until they're like three months old. Before the three-month stage, I called Charlotte an angry potato. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the worst thing you've called her, as we've learned. <laughs> but they definitely have a hold over us, as we've established. And I say soak in that oxytocin when you can, because... Studies show that parents are happiest at two points in their parenting journey. The first being immediately after the baby is born, (laughs) which I I know is tough, right? (laughs) That was nothing could be further from the truth for me. (laughs) Well, that's when they say the spikes of oxytocin happen and you're taking your baby home from the hospital. You're excited. It's all brand new. People are congratulating you and all that kind of fun stuff. Well, it's only been up for me. So maybe I got a leg up. (laughs) 
with my postpartum depression, it was all uphill from there. <laughs> well, that's good because most parents say the oxytocin and the happiness fade over the first year and you're stuck in just the thick of it. And when I say the thick of it, I mean, it's very stressful, right? It's, it's a very <laughs> volatile time, high highs, but low lows. Absolutely. And that second time where parents are the most happy that I mentioned just a second ago, do you want to take a guess on when that happens? When they're potty trained. When they can buckle themselves into seatbelts. When they can feed themselves. Those are all the first steps to reaching the ultimate level of happiness and satisfaction as a parent. And that is when your child moves out of your home <laughs> and no longer <laughs> needs to live with you or your day-to-day -day support. So fuck you, Gen Z and millennial parents. You're never getting your life back. <laughs> it's just it's what the universe owes them after they ruin the world. So what makes that in between those 18 years that you've signed up for, what makes them so stressful? Well, that's just because parenting brings a lot of extra tasks and things to do. But there is some relief to parents because taking care of your children and your babies, it sucks a little less than doing the dishes, per se. Uh, a survey of parents found that they consider taking care of their kids as the most meaningful thing that they can do. Alternatively, it's also the most exhausting task that they do in their day. And that is when comparing taking care of their kids to housework, leisure, and even their paid job. And that's, that is why sometimes that I am like, you know, us, you, you do the kid thing. I'll do the dishes. Because <laughs> like you know, both of them have to get done. And there's two yeah. of us. And sometimes I don't have the emotional energy for it. So... Laura's like, I have enough meaning in my life right now. Thank you. I actually have to devote myself to something mindless. Yeah, I had uh, I had meaning all day. And uh, right now I just need to do something stupid uh, and zone out. <laughs> and anybody who's been around a baby knows that they are living biological mood elevators. So how do we go from people who are happy, satisfied with these oxytocin generators to people hating their kids and calling them these names. So let's look at what makes parenting so hard after this break. Why is parenting so difficult? Because your kids are little assholes, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that Six to one parents would agree that parenting is more difficult today than it was in the past. And this is according to surveys done by the Institute for Advanced Studies in Culture. I absolutely buy this. I am in this camp. I also think that it is more difficult today than it was before. Well, why might that be? Let's dig okay. into it. My thought is, number one, lack of more family support. Back in the day, you had grandmothers that didn't work a lot of the time that would help parents out with their newborns. You know, you had two sets of grandmothers there to help you. You have more of a community around you to help you do things. And also there is a different perspective on parenting where there wasn't so much personal value ascribed to it because it was the thing that everyone did. It was just the thing that everyone did. So it wasn't like I am doing something great. I am doing something wonderful. I am the end all be all to my child that there was just so much less baggage attached to it. Yeah, that hits on quite a few points that we're going to get into. 
except for the lack of support, which is interesting because I did think about that, but it never made it into the research about the deterioration of social networks and how we're more isolated than we are before in our houses. I had two working parents, two full-time working parents when I was a kid. I never saw a daycare because I had two grandmas. Oh, well, I did go to daycare when my mom was working. But my mom stayed home. So that's the other thing, too, is you maybe didn't need as tight of a tribe, right? Because you had split roles within the family of breadwinner and domestic care. Exactly. But yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. So feminism really screwed us over. <laughs> screwed the moms over. Sorry, moms. Yeah, wow. Tough. But one of the ways that parenting has also gotten more complicated is it's gotten more expensive. And I didn't do a cost comparison over the years, but I just will say that the most recent stat, as predicted in 2022, said that one child can cost up to $272,050. The extra 50. (laughs) That really sets it off. That's just for their prom ticket. (laughs) Is that from birth to 18, I assume? Yes. Yeah. And as parents of older children know that your responsibilities don't end there. Some parents are still paying for their children's phone bills into their mid to late 20s, which I think is crazy. And that number comes straight off the presses from the USDA, which is the Department of Agriculture. And I thought that that was kind of funny that they're the ones tracking this. How much does it cost to raise us from calf to slaughter. How much does it cost to raise a future farmer from the USDA? (laughs) That's true. I would say a future farmer probably costs a little bit less because they're corn fed. (laughs) And another reason that parenting is so difficult is it's very time consuming. What? I did put a question here because the numbers did not back up how time consuming I thought it was actually going to be. Because I looked at the U.S. Bureau of Labor Stats and they did like a survey of parents from 2019. They even said, "Mm -mm, we're not going to look at 2020 and 2021 because that shit's crazy. Like it's changed entirely. So their most recent numbers were from 2019. And it said that parents spent a little over two hours a day directly tending to kids six and under. Uh, It goes down from there. So it goes down to about one hour for a teenager. Well, one hour for a teenager sounds about right. But I guess directly tending. Yeah, that's not including all the freaking laundry, the the cooking, the cleaning of bottles and prepping formula, diapers, taking out trash, buying diapers, buying all these different other things. That's average over the first six yeah, years. Okay. So I imagine that maybe it goes down. I, I had to assume it didn't include all the tasks, too, oh, because couldn't. no way. But I guess if you're a working person, you probably do only see your kid an hour or two hours a day. Yeah, so it's a bummer. Maybe that's right. But then you get them ready in the morning and that's a big thing. And I don't know. I don't le- do at least three hours. It's yeah, that, that you got to talk to the U.S. Bureau of Labor because I'll, I, I will study. write them a strongly worded letter. But when I saw it was only two hours, I was like, shit, you know, that's how much I spend on TikTok in an average day. <laughs> so like sign me up. I could be a parent in just the time that I spend on TikTok. <laughs> that sounds right, right? Yeah. <laughs> but as we talked about, I'd wager that a lot of the stress that comes with parenting actually lives outside of the time that you're spending directly with your kid. Call Queen because parents are under pressure. Do, 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 do. Ding. And here I'm going to get on my, my feminist corner again because women are especially 
under pressure because they're constantly sold this idea that they need to be the perfect mom. And we've all had this idea that motherhood is a sacred and mystical bond between mother and child. Yeah, that is absolutely what I found to be the case. Uh, It is a fuck ton of pressure and it is overwhelming. And this goes into what you were saying earlier, right, where you feel like you have to be the be all end all for your child, that everything that we're doing for them is going to add up to influence the child's ability to function in the world and be a complete and balanced person. Parents are carrying that load every day. And it's not just that load. It's also the load of if I'm not doing that, I am a bad person. If I'm not finding this to be the most fulfilling and wonderful experience of my life, if I'm not dedicating every waking second to my child, I am not only messing up my child, I am also just a bad person. To be a bad mom means that you're a bad human. And that's a lot of pressure. And that is the kind of pressure that is hanging over parents, not just every day, but with every decision they make for (laughs) their kid. And parents are making a lot of decisions for their kids. And at first on Employed Society, I'm going to quote a blogger, which normally doesn't fall into the criteria for academic research-based podcast. (laughs) But in this case, she hit it right on the head. And her name is Jen, and I can't pronounce her last name, but we'll link to it in the show notes. But her quote reads, as a modern mother, I am required to obsess over every single aspect of my children's lives. I have to make all the choices about all the things, and I am exhausted. I feel you, Jen. It's freaking everything. I remember just little stupid stuff that I was stressing about when I would bring Charlotte to daycare. I was like, is she wearing the right clothes for daycare? Is everyone going to think that she looks crazy because her hair isn't done because other people they bring their kids in and they've got the cute little pigtails in and all that kind of stuff it's just everything what what toys do you give them are they good enough are they developing are they stimulating their brain enough are they over do they have chemicals in them yeah yeah are they gonna choke on it but truly there's no such thing as a small decision when every decision could be the thing that makes or breaks your child or when you're carrying that responsibility that every action you take has that weight to it or that potential and there's also this thing of that there is no one right way to do it. This is something that I read in one of the only parenting books I read before Charlotte was born, which was the uh, the French parenting book, The Bringing Up Bebe. And she made a really good point in it in that in America, there are so many different mommy camps about the proper way to do things. It's so confusing and so intimidating and As we know from scientific studies, when people are given so many choices, they aren't as satisfied with their own choice. So Mm -hmm. you choose one thing that seemed to be right to you, and then you see all these others that are going on, and you're like, oh, God, am I doing the right thing? Am Am I really messing it up? And this isn't true across all cultures, but it's not specifically American either. I'm sure there are other countries that fall into this, but more the the French way of doing things is more of like a one or two ways to go down the pathway. And so people are generally less stressed and a little bit happier about being a parent because of that. You don't have to second guess yourself so much because everyone's doing the same thing. And so you get that assurance. There is only one way. Yeah. It is the way. It is the way. What is that from? It's from The Mandalorian. 
Oh. <laughs> it is the way. It is the way. So yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Because also when we talk about it, we're, we have all these different ways of doing it and everyone's very vocal about their ways. Oh, so vocal. <laughs> if you do something against somebody else's ways, they'll stitch your TikTok and then mm. tell you that you're wrong. So again, parenting, you have a lot of different choices to do it. And it's also somehow very public at the same time where people are constantly casting judgment on other people. Especially if you're hanging out on TikTok talking about being a mom. I mean, just get ready for the hate. It's just going to come. Well, okay. And here's my thought too. Mom talk is a whole thing. It's a whole world. And there's people making content, people criticizing content, people stitching content. And it just makes me think. How hard could being a mom be if you have all this time to make a TikTok account? (laughs) Yeah, for real. (laughs) I mean, I know I certainly fucking didn't. I mean, then again, I make a podcast that takes 10 hours a week, so... Yeah, you're such a bad mom, Laura. Stop the podcast (laughs) and spend your night making better lunches or something. I don't know what... Something else you talked about earlier. Knitting baby booties or something i don't know making my own clothes whittling my own toys and painting them with lead-free paint Mm -hmm. god get on it laura and so this weight that comes from making these decisions and and the plethora of these decisions and being judged for the decisions you're making that all comes together to create a world that's damaging for parents but equally damaging to the mental health of parents is comparing the world they're actually in to what they thought they were getting, which is mm. the myth of joyful parenting. Because as we talked about and even lo- talked about with the research, we did the same thing where we said parents are fulfilled, parents are happy. We are constantly told how rewarding and joyful this experience is. And so we go in expecting the warm fuzzies. We're expecting the oxytocin ride of our life. But then <laughs> suddenly we're in the trenches. We haven't had a full REM cycle in months. We don't know if that shit on our face, let alone what day of the week it is. <laughs> and you start to question, have I been lied to? And I think that that's also a very different tale from back in the day about why parenting has gotten harder. I don't know that this was the thing that people sold. It was just the thing that you did. It wasn't sold as the key to happiness. It was just that was your expectation. But don't worry. All the parents didn't join a, a massive conspiracy to trick you into joining their ranks, even though it is feel like that sometimes when you talk to parents. One of us. One of us. One of <laughs> Everyone us. wants to be validated. They just want, especially if they like you. If they like you, they want you in their tribe too. So it's like, yeah, have a baby. Yeah. Be lame like me. And so then we can escape together on Saturday night every fourth you know, weekend of the month, and then we can all call our kids assholes. Feel good about ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's very true, right? Because parents are rationalizing their own decisions. At least that is what was found in a study done by psychologists at the University of Waterloo. In this particular study, they asked parents to consider one aspect of what makes parenting difficult. And in this case, they forced them to face the cost of how much money that they would have to spend to raise their kid. And then they asked them how they felt about it. And the ones who had the most conflict when face-to-face with that number or the ones that had the hardest time accepting it or the most stress about it would then be the same ones who went and idealized and painted the rosiest picture of being a parent. And this, my socialites, is cognitive dissonance at work. The more difficult something is, our brain begins to work 
to tell us that the decisions that we made, the cost that we spent was worth the price. This really tracks to me. And I don't want to sound like I'm a whole high and mighty here, but I think that maybe I'm a little bit happier than the normal parent. And I think that is because I did not believe anybody who said that parenting was going to be the most joyful and wonderful experience of my life. I was like, this is going to suck. <laughs> like All I could see going in was the sleepless nights, the crying babies, the stress in my life, the time that I was going to lose in my life. That was all I saw when I thought of kids. Even when I was pregnant, the why I got pregnant, I can't even tell you why I got pregnant, but I did. It's <laughs> on it's purpose. such an easy decision to make, right? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. let's just try and then... Let's just see what happens. Oh, sh- fuck! <laughs> yeah, and then-, and then you're set on a course that you can't easily or yeah, ethically exactly. easily bail on. And and so I was freaking like, this is going to be the worst thing in the world. And the first three months leveled out the, to those expectations that it was the worst thing in the world. And then after that, I saw a little bit of all the things that people talked about that was so wonderful about being a parent. And so I think that that is a huge part of the problem is that people think that it's going to be so wonderful. Every moment is going to be filled with sunshine and daisies, and it sets them up with terrible expectations. It's no wonder that people are unhappy. But if you go into it, I think, with eyes open, knowing that this is going to be fucking hard, I think you're going to have a better chance of seeing those beautiful moments, those bright spot moments because your expectations were low. (laughs) And I think that somebody who goes in with that mindset is probably going to be able to deliver a more accurate picture of what it is to be a parent, whereas somebody who did have those high expectations or somebody who is really conflicted about the amount that they're sacrificing, whether that be in sleep, time, or money, they are going to come out Mm -hmm. and paint a much rosier picture. They're going to only focus on those highs as a way of their brain tricking themselves and like soothing itself like a baby sucking on its thumb. And saying that you made the right decision, all of this was worth it. But one thing our brain does let us see, if not our own experience, we're really able to see what we perceive as other people's reality. Oh, yeah. We're good at looking at how other people are doing as opposed to how we ourselves are doing. Definitely. Judging is everyone's favorite activity. And at the center of this comparison is choice, where parenthood back in the day was a little bit of a given. Misery Mm -hmm. loves company. And if you were stuck in the rough gutter of parenthood, you could just think, ah, this is something that we all go through. That's no longer the case. Now you can just open your phone or your computer and you can see people choosing to live all different kind of lives. And of course, the highlights of those lives. Mm hmm. The best parts only. Of course, right? (laughs) Just like the best parts of parenting are what make it onto the gram. But you'll see people who are traveling, people who are spending lazy Sundays in bed or devoting, I don't know, four hours of their Sunday to working on their podcast, per se. And when you look at these other people's lives and you see the things that they're able to enjoy, it makes the sacrifices that you are making as a parent all the more obvious. It's really easy to see all the ways that parenthood is difficult when you're looking at everybody else's life who is not going through that at the same time. Yeah. Lazy Sundays immediately. I was like, oh, my God, I miss that (laughs) so much. (laughs) I'll get there. Eventually, I'll get back there. Um, 
But the other thing about this of people choosing all different lives, I'm always a fan of people choosing all their different lives. The stuff that gets me, and this was even this was even before I had kids or even wanted to have kids, were the people who were just like child free forever and you're such an idiot for doing it i was like i think the lady doth protest too much like every time i saw those i was like get the fuck over it but i mean i would have the same response to any woman that was on there saying you don't know what real love is before you've had a child and you're a selfish individual if you don't have one both of those things are shitty (laughs) and you shouldn't do them well in the ideal world yeah everybody would live their life and not care what other people thought but i see the swing of the child-free people being a direct result of the super moms that you see that's the narrative we're constantly fed uh so that these people are then having to try to buck the system and they're trying to say like you know what i can have that fulfilling life that i was promised by being a glamorous child-free person is it a little defensive probably but both sides are defensive Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm just like, everyone just mind their own damn business. Two wrongs don't make a right. Just because somebody, one does somebody, doesn't mean that you have to do the opposite in retaliation. It's not so much, I don't think, retaliation. It's just that confirmation bias in, in action in a different way. And sometimes people, I've seen a lot of child free content. Sometimes all they have to say is child free with no connotation around like saying it's better or anything. And then everybody jumps on them. People who walk in those more untread paths of life tend to have a little bit more defensive reactions or reflexes, I think, because they're used to being told that their decision isn't the right one, if that makes sense. I'm just more just mind your business. Everyone do your own thing. You just don't want anybody telling you they're better than you, which is understandable. I'm the same way. I don't want anybody telling anybody they're better than anybody else. Just do your own thing. So we've talked a lot about societal pressures, the things that are affecting parents and the quality of their experience. There's one big missing piece that we haven't talked about yet, and that is children themselves. Because a lot of the stories, articles, posts, videos that I've seen, including the TikTok that set this all in motion, that talks about how tough parenting is, they were all parents of toddlers. (laughs) Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. I mean, not saying that parents of other ages don't have similar feelings, but what other stage of life can you be slapped, yelled at, and then required to console that same little (laughs) tiny person as they're having a full-fledged meltdown in the aisle of Target? Luckily, Charlotte hasn't had a public meltdown yet. She saves all of her terrible behavior for when we're at home. Whenever she's having a bad day, I'm like, all right, let's go to Target because she's always really good when we're out, but I'm sure that'll change someday. A study I I saw but didn't read a lot said that toddlers, they're aware of how other people are perceiving them. So maybe she's just aware of that and in tune with it. Doesn't want to embarrass herself. She's just super happy to see people. She loves people. Aw. That's a better outlook. Because when I was a kid and having a meltdown in public, my mom would just say, everybody's staring at you. Oh, God. (laughs) And then I would be like, okay, better be good. I don't mean like. Oh, I see where that comes from then. (laughs) Oh, oh, no. Laura's trying to diagnose me. (laughs) 
But it only my mom's sitting there like, I don't give a shit what you do. And nobody else gives a shit what you do. And just shut up. <laughs> but it wouldn't have worked if I didn't already have that shame ingrained. That's true. That's if true. If I was all careless and fancy free, I'd be like, let them look. Yeah, let them look. That was my mom. <laughs> but children at any age is challenging. But I think we can all agree that toddlers are a little bit of a special breed, as evidenced by all of the articles, books, posts. All the people saying that they're like at their wit's end about their toddler. They're they're a little something. Getting smacked in the face is a hard thing as a as a parent. I will tell you because it's like I could crush you. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't. You, obviously, you can't. You don't. But you're just like. What am I supposed to do with this? They're very challenging and frustrating. But why is that? What makes toddlers so hard to parent? It's not just the parents who are struggling. Being a toddler is hard. Every article that you look up about dealing with toddler tantrums will give you all of this advice. And you're like, I know. What do I do about it? (laughs) It's an awkward time to be alive because you are starting to gain your independence. You're becoming more mobile. You want to explore and get to experience the world. But at the same time, you are still dependent on your parents. You are at a constant power struggle with them, but also yourself because you still get comfort and you want to be around your parents. You love your parents, but you also have this innate ability desire to be independent and explore so you're struggling with your parents and them affecting their will on you but you're also struggling with that internal battle of whether you want to be with your parents or off exploring the world or if you want a popsicle yes that's charlotte's new thing just loses her fucking mind that i won't give her a popsicle (laughs) she's got her priorities what can you say (laughs) (laughs) but if you're a toddler you can't say much because that's another thing about being a toddler that's very frustrating is you can understand far more than you can express and anybody who's tried to communicate with somebody who is not receiving the messages you're trying to give them it's they can tell you it's frustrating. It's really fucking frustrating. And that's as a full-fledged adult. Imagine you can't put sentences together. You can't. It's like a dream where you're trying to dial your phone and you don't have the. Yeah. You can't see the numbers. Yeah. It seems like a, a fresh part of hell. All the time, Charlotte wants me to do something and I don't know what it is. Like just before we came down here, I was changing her diaper before she went to bed and she kept handing me her little toy watermelon. And I'm like, what do you want me to do with that? I'm like pretending to eat it. I'm like, no, that's not it. I'm putting it in the the, the dish. No, that's not it. And like, she's getting really frustrated. I'm like, I don't know what you want me to do with the toy watermelon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be very frustrating for her as well. Because she's like, I just feel like you would like the watermelon better if it was (laughs) in your pocket or on your head or something. And she, but I didn't know what the heck that was. Exactly. And so she started crying. (laughs) Well, and that's a very natural reaction, right? Because on top of this frustration that would get to a full-grown adult, toddlers' brains are still developing and they're missing some of the key connections that are related to helping regulate emotions and anger. So when you have that frustration and that inability to express themselves, it's going to go straight to thermonuclear. (laughs) And honestly, it's their world and we're all just living in it. Because along with that emotion regulating piece of the brain, empathy is also something that toddlers are working on and developing, which means that they will make you cry in that target aisle and they will not give a fuck about it. (laughs) This is why people call their toddlers terrorists, dictators, uh, all this kind of stuff. Assholes. Yeah, assholes. Because it's very frustrating at times. 
And it just you just can't emotionally negotiate with them. Like you can't say you're hurting mommy's feelings because they literally don't care. You're not a person to them. Yeah. I tried that. (laughs) I try that. I try the the, you're hurting mommy. That one doesn't work. My my thing that I do now when she hits me is that I say, I don't want to play with you anymore. I don't play with people who hit me. She's like, great. I don't want to play with you anyway. That's why I was hitting you in the face. Go away, yeah. bitch. It's a lot easier to play by myself because <laughs> yeah. I can do whatever I want to do yeah. without you weighing me down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dead weight, mama. <laughs> so it's easy with all these things filed together. It's easy to see where any kid could be challenging and you might not feel the best about them all the time where you will describe them as a terrorist. And that's why people need to vent and call their kids assholes on TikTok. So chill the fuck out. <laughs> Okay, so parenting comes with quite a few pitfalls and stressors. And if we talked about it, it's it's enough to make you maybe say, use specific words to blow off some steam around your child. But is it enough to make you actually hate your child? We'll dig into that right after this break. Well, I think there's a lot of outside forces that make you frustrated to be a parent, but I think there's also some internal stuff going on there. If you really do hate your kid, I think it's probably deeper than just the child. Well, exactly, because kids are kids, and there's good kids, and there's bad kids, but the vast, vast majority of kids, no matter how good or bad they are, fall within that bell curve. They're normal bad or normal good. (laughs) And you probably don't have the Damien devil kid. So if you're feeling these strong emotions, uh, negative emotions towards your kid, something else might be at work there. And there are quite a few things that might be happening as listed by a Psychology Today article. And we're going to jump into why parents might not be jiving with their progeny. And the first is it all starts with loving yourself. If you have a very negative self-image, you can unintentionally extend that onto your kids. Well, sure. They look just like you. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a natural jump. They look like you. They behave like you. They take all your worst characteristics and put them on display for yourself to see. And you're like, oh, oh, no. Well, right. (laughs) Yeah. So when you have all that, it makes them easy targets for that misdirection of your own self-contempt. That's sad. That's why you got to love yourself first. Do the work first. That's always the key to happiness. Yep. Another reason you might be having trouble feeling that emotional bond with your child is if you are underdeveloped or immature. So kids need a lot. And if you are not mentally mature enough or at the stage where you're ready to give give that amount, you're going to see this dependency as unwanted and intimidating. We've established toddlers are selfish people. One of the reasons being because their brain is not fully developed. Well, that doesn't finish after toddlerhood, right, that your brain develops until you're in your mid-20s. If you're a younger parent, you might still have that self-centered thinking. I know I was a lot more self-centered at 20 than I am sitting here at almost 29. I still felt this way at 37 when I had a kid. I was like, oh, but what about me? (laughs) Exactly. So, If you have that predisposition, you're going to see your kid as a burden. And if you see your kid as a burden, that can easily lead to some resentment. Yeah. Some people also have trouble with loving their children because kids love you. I mean, I think that's one of like the major benefits of having them is that they they just love you. 
you are the center of everything and they think you are just the freaking bee's knees. Yes, but if you've received damage in childhood that makes it hard for you to receive that bee's knees attention, you're going to unconsciously push your kids away. That's another one that makes me sad. Childhood trauma just recycling itself in all new ways to create new childhood trauma for a new generation. And when that generation grows up, they may have trouble feeling strong emotional bonds with their children because of their unresolved trauma, which is another reason why you might struggle to have that bond with your child. Because like an animal who is hurting, they are going to lash out and be really easy to provoke. Because if you're nursing your own raw emotional wound, you're not going to be able to help your kids and, and give them the love that they need. You're going to value protecting yourself over your kids. And so that can manifest in rejecting them, right? That I hate my kid, I don't love them. Or it can actually manifest the other way in overprotecting them too. So preventing them from any kind of stress or bad things because that reminds you of the bad things that happened in your childhood. Like you can't handle it. Yeah, which is another really bad way to raise a child as well. So those are like all very sad and very traumatic and reasons that make a lot of sense yeah. too of why you might have trouble bonding with your kid. The next two are totally silly to me. And maybe that's because I don't have kids. And I didn't experience it. But another reason that this article suggested that parents might have trouble loving their kids or feel like they don't love their kids is because your kid is a reminder that you're going to die. <laughs> kids are really good at demonstrating the passage of time. And, you know, they grow quickly. They have milestones. They change over the course of a year. So looking back and seeing that change and knowing that that much time has passed, that might be kind of difficult for you to process. That one's stupid. <laughs> yeah, I've I'm... never heard anybody say that before. I mean, I guess people wouldn't say it exactly, but that one just seems really stupid to me. Like It seems like a stretch. Yeah, yeah. Get over it. We all die. Passage of time. Look at yourself in 2010 to 2022. There's a lot of differences there, too. Yeah, dig up that Facebook photo. Exactly. But alternatively, if you are chill with the idea of death, you might see your kid as a way to escape that inevitability. Because if you can shape the person who came from you with your ideas and beliefs, a piece of you can live on after your death. But things don't always work out that way. So if your kid is not going to mold exactly the way you want them because they're, I don't know, their own person, mm -hmm. you could end up building a little resentment that way. I feel like a lot of people fall into this trap. They want their kids to be a certain way and then they turn out to be whole humans that have completely different interests and likes and motivations and people can't handle it. And I imagine this would come up a lot later in life as opposed to earlier in life. It's like when your kids are teenagers. Yeah, you start to see who they are and you're like, this isn't who I pictured yeah. when I had you. Yeah. Which is something that's really good to let go of and will come up again in, as we wrap this whole thing up. And then finally, if you don't have enough love in your life, if you don't have enough self-love or love from other people, you can then rely on your kids to fill that need. And kids who've grown up with a parent who needed them to fill their love tank, they know it's, it's something that they realize as an early age, this relationship is not about me and my needs. Mm. It's about fulfilling the parents' needs. Mm -hmm. And they feel very overwhelmed and they feel like they have to please and have to, you know, be the best they can. 
or they rebel and they go their own way. And either way, that can kind of force the parent's hand, too, when their child inevitably can't be that main supply of love in their life. That was incredibly selfish. But yeah, it's absolutely true. You can see it, you know, when people just can't let go of their kids and let them do their own thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's not necessarily like they woke up and chose to be selfish. It could be that they never got a love from their parent. Mm -hmm. So you have this little thing that you hold that loves you unconditionally at that stage. I mean, it's easy to get addicted or like, you know, reliant on that amount of pure love if you've never gotten it somewhere else. Yeah. And I mean, these are all pretty extreme, in my opinion. Uh, I think that these aren't things that happen very often, but yet happen enough that I think as we run through the list, we can all see this model, whether through people in our own lives or TV or stories that we've consumed, where none of them are that surprising. Yeah. Except for the one where your kid reminds you that you're going to die. That one just really came out of left field. (laughs) But these are all really big issues. And if you're going through these... They're common enough that we can understand them, but I don't think they're what is leading to all of these TikToks and these posts and these comments and these blogs that people are writing. No. And I think the differentiator here is that those posts come from somewhere more along the lines of, I hate this, as opposed to, I hate you, my child. Yeah, I hate the situation. I don't hate you as an individual. And there's a reason for that, too. And this is kind of the final reason that I'm saying why people at times call their kids names and feel like they hate being a parent or they regret being a parent. And that comes down to a concept called parental burnout. Burnout is a hot topic, especially in the corporate world nowadays, but apparently it goes both ways. Well, that's what I was going to say is I thought burnout was a like a buzzword. I did not know it was a psychological term that is defined as emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a decrease in fulfillment that is created from chronic exposure to emotionally draining environments. And a toddler can definitely be emotionally draining. And as you mentioned, this is kind of a buzzword in corporate America because it's something that's tied to work usually. But according to a study in Sage Journal, this is also something that happens with parents. And at its highest level and its most extreme, you are so burnt out that you end up distancing yourself from your children. So you're in that set of mind where you're like, I love you, but I cannot stand to be around you right now, which is something I think is summarized a lot in those articles that I've read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's why taking time away is so important. That's what they say about work. And it's the same thing about parenthood. You need time to let that steam off and and go be somewhere else and not always be there or else you're going to drive yourself nuts. And letting off that steam is even more important because this can get dangerous because with work there's always the ability to quit you can always walk away with parenting you don't always have that safety valve so this can lead to parents who end up experiencing suicidal or escapist ideation they're fantasizing about leaving everything behind running away or they're so overwhelmed with their family life that they are considering ending their life that's so depressing But why do we get to this level of stress around parenthood? I mean, sure, we talked about it. It's physically draining. You you lose sleep. You have to tend to somebody else's needs. Let me say, though, that the lack of sleep, it's a torture technique. That's what they use on POWs. Lack of sleep will make people go crazy. Not to undermine that's a fact. 
But let's say that that real sleep deprivation happens in the first three-ish months. I mean, right? it did for me, but I know for other people it can continue. It but, stretches longer. Yeah. So that's like a real physiological thing that creates stress. Yeah. I think that this is a bigger thing than that because factoring in the sleep loss, all those other things that you do now once you can actually sleep through the night, the changing diapers, the washing bottles, and the thousands of tiny tasks that are associated with being a parent, I mean, there's not a lot of emotional investment in those. Mm -hmm. Sure, it's stressful and exhausting, and especially with the lack of sleep, all that's amped up to the 10th degree. But how does parenting, how does that reach the level of chronic emotional drainage? How does it hit that benchmark needed to create that level of parental burnout? I'm curious. I don't know. So... This is where I think all of the research comes together to shape our view of parenthood and what makes it so emotionally draining for folks. Because sure, raising a kid is tough on its own. As we said, the physiological piece of it, the energy expenditure, the money expenditure, it's difficult. But when you factor in the fact that we're constantly asking ourselves, am I happy? Is this making me happier? Is this giving my life meaning and fulfillment? You know, when we're starting to see the difficulties and sacrifices we're making and then comparing them to other people's choices and wondering if we made the right ones, when we might have bought into a myth of what parenthood was and then are faced with the cold, hard reality. And when we're stressing over every decision that we make, that it could be the decision that sets our kid up for success or for a life of failure. And we're trying to be the perfect parent to someone who just literally does not give a shit about us and will definitely not see or appreciate the sacrifices you're making as a parent for a long, long, long time, if ever at all. My mom said to me something one time that she, my mom says a lot of stuff, but she was listening to some program on NPR, but they were saying something like our focus on happiness is wrong. And she came home and was like, I heard this thing that said we shouldn't focus so much on happiness. And I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why? And she's like, I don't know. I wasn't really <laughs> listening. <laughs> and then like, I was like, that's so stupid. Great point. But as I've gotten older, I kind of understand what that article or that piece was probably saying, you know, is that really is the thing that makes you the happiest really how you should be gearing your life. Life is about a lot more than happiness. It's about how you dedicate yourselves to those around you, the people that you love, what you're providing to them. And I'm not saying that happiness isn't important. It's definitely should be a factor, but I don't think it should be the barometer for your entire life. Does this meal make me happy? It's like, well, some should, but not every meal should. When you have your meal of grilled chicken and unbuttered broccoli, you occasionally have to do that <laughs> to not be a morbidly obese person. To just be constantly focusing on everything that maximizes your happiness maybe isn't the best way to go through life. Yeah, it's also an artificial benchmark that you really can't measure against. Yeah. Because even if you're happiest, you probably could be happier it's not the best way i i would agree on that one it's an unreachable benchmark and maybe we should be looking at other ways in order to recalibrate ourselves whether it's happiness or joyfulness or whatever the case may be that maybe that isn't the end all be all and that's really what it comes down to is all of those factors adding together and people wanting to know if this grand endeavor that they've set on is the best choice for them. And that's what's creating a lot of that stress that leads to that parental burnout. 
So when you come back to our rude question, is it normal to hate your kids a little bit? I'm going to say probably because every parent will probably touch into that burnout a little bit because that's just what being a parent is. It doesn't have to hit that chronic emotional drainage level, but you still will get burnt out from time to time. And that's parenthood. That's swinging from back and forth is the thing of like, oh, my God, I can't take one more second of this. And then the next minute being like, oh, you're so cute. (laughs) It's this complete roller coaster of emotions all of the time. It's got a lot of highs and lows. And while we are not an advice podcast, like that's not what we're here to do, I will tippy tip tap toe into that territory a little bit for parents who might be feeling a little bit of that burnout. And I'm going to do so through peer-reviewed research. Not a blogger? <laughs> not like the blogger. <laughs> so it's not me telling you this. It's actually scientists who are telling you this. They're infallible, as we talked about earlier, right? Unbiased and unfallible. Infallible. Of course. And I actually, this was one of the more juicier bits of research I found, and it is fresh off the presses, printed this year by the BBC, and it looked at how children actually shape their parents more than their parents shape their kids. Oh, I totally buy this. So this, this article cited a study that followed over a thousand kids for five years and found that the kids' behavior did not change over those years, just how the parents responded to them. People are who they are, man, from the moment they come out. It is crazy. So yeah, that's just confirmed by these studies and that how our parents treated us is actually determined by our own behavior. So children who were defiant and acted out were met with more strict and authoritarian parents while those well-behaved kiddos were met with a little bit more warmth from their parental units. And this was confirmed time and time again with multiple studies throughout the article, including one that looked at identical twins raised in separate households, which I was like, who did that to those kids? But (laughs) these twins were raised in separate households. Their personalities were more similar than fraternal twins who were raised in the same household. So it just shows it's more genetic. And this does so much more than just make everyone with parent issues stop and maybe think about our own role in the relationship. Mm -hmm. It also can help ease some of that parental burnout because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents. I mean, parents put a lot of pressure on themselves. I'm not part of the we. But the studies show it just doesn't fucking matter. So in the end, my big takeaway from this whole podcast research, this lengthy episode, is if you hate, hate your individual child, you might have your own challenges that you need to address with professional help and get some therapy and support. But if you just kind of like hate being a parent or hate your kids every now and then in the sense that it's really inconvenient and it's a lot of work, that's completely normal. But you can actually reduce some of that emotional stress of parenting that leads to this chronic emotional drainage through realizing and letting go of some of the pressure by knowing that you can't really shape a person from scratch. Babies are not blank slates. You can help them be the best person possible with the genetic hand they were dealt. But once you let go of that control, you can stop internalizing this stress Mm -hmm. and just appreciate your child for who they are. And one of the things that make that part so hard is because of the narrative that we are told is that 
whenever a kid does something wrong, it's the parents' fault. So everyone is always looking to themselves to be like, what am I doing? You know, you hear those horror stories about things that kids do. And you're just like, where are the parents? What were the parents like? What were the parents doing? And yeah, sometimes they come from terrible households, but sometimes they come from fine households. I mean, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. And some of them, most of them come from terrible homes. But some of these serial killers come from completely normal households. Sometimes people just are who they are. So that's another point in the column of fuck what everyone else thinks. Do your own thing. And know that you are not 100% responsible for however your kid turns out. You just do the best you can every single day. And that's the best that you can do. And what happens, happens. Mm -hmm. And when possible, you can influence the areas that you can influence. Yeah. If you can maybe push the dial up a little bit in certain areas and push it down another place or if you're if your kid's a hothead they're a hothead but help them learn how to process that anger and help them be able to calm themselves down that's your role as a parent is not the be all end all creator you are not the creator you are just someone to help guide and mold the person on their journey so in taking that kind of back seat it it should help a little bit of the burnout i would think i mean just to know that you are not the only one at the wheel you're not in charge of this entire ship you can do the best you can and you're you know you're the skipper but in the end the the person the individual even a toddler is responsible for their own behavior and they are who they are and it's just, it's not all on you take that weight off your shoulders so take that weight off go have a drink with friends de-stress, let the steam off as needed, and just don't make any TikToks about it. (laughs) You can call Laura and tell her all about how your kids are assholes and she will listen and nod and understand. As long as your kid's not around. If your kid's around to hear you, that's mean. Because even though they're young, they know. But if you're up by yourself, let it loose. Let it fly. Let it fly. And one of the ways you can let it fly is by emailing us at rude at impolitesocietypodcast.com and tell us all the horror stories you have of being a parent. And we would love to hear it. We would love to read it and maybe even read it out loud on the podcast. But don't worry, we won't tell your kid that you think they're an asshole. (laughs) And lastly, lastly, most importantly, tell your friends, folks. This is how we grow by smart people like you thinking to themselves, hey, I know other smart people who would enjoy these crude topics that make you think, and then you tell them, and then they listen, and then everyone is happy. Yes, truly. And not every episode we walk away thinking we might have been able to do something a little good in the world, but I think with this one we could, potentially, because we can let people who are struggling with some of that parental burnout know that they're not alone. And if you have a parent in your life who is potentially struggling with that or just likes to call their kids assholes, send them this podcast and we want to know what you think. We want to know what they think. Okay, that's enough podcasting for today, I think. What do you think? I think we're ready to march on out of here. All right. Well, stay curious, our fellow deviants, and don't forget, never, ever forget to keep marching to the beat of your own drum. I'm an asshole baby. I want a popsicle. I want a popsicle. I want a popsicle. There's really one big missing F. No, missing piece. <laughs>